0: This episode is sponsored by The Alcohol Experiment, a free 30 day challenge designed to interrupt your patterns, give you control, restore your health, and put you back in touch with the version of you who doesn't need alcohol to cope, relax, or enjoy life. More than 220,000 people have already tried the alcohol experiment for themselves and have seen improved sleep, increased happiness, reduced anxiety, and so much more. Join thousands in this inspiring, hopeful, and exciting program where you examine your beliefs and reconnect with the best version of you without ever feeling like you're missing out. Start today for free at alcoholexperiment.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. And I'm here with Ellie. Hi, Ellie. How are you?
1: Hi, Annie. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so passionate about helping other mums, so it's a real privilege to be here to tell my story today. Oh, I'm so happy that you're here.
0: Um, so why don't you talk us through sort of where things started for you
1: like backing up to the beginning where did it all where did it all begin well the the beginning for me somewhere in the middle so I, I like to start in the middle because as far as drinking's concerned things really really changed at the point that I started to have children so prior to that I just classified myself as a big social drinker and that really really changed after having children so my story kind of just come full circle and it's punctuated by discovery of mind and body practices throughout but starting with the first so I've got three children the first one is my little girl Pearl so she was born in uh, 2014 so I was 33 at the time and the pregnancy was amazing and I was so lucky just everything ran smoothly and It was the first period of time that I'd really taken away from drinking, but it it just didn't bother me at all. The newness of having a baby took over and it was all fine. And then I um, get to the point of, I've had my baby and I get the shock of breastfeeding. So I would planned, I thought I'd planned to breastfeed, but I had no idea how long you breastfeed for. So I banked the, I'm gonna have to stop drinking for nine months, but then beyond that, So to begin with, it was fine, but over time, as you start to venture out into social circles again, I really did feel like I was missing out. And so I then got into the rigmarole of pumping milk and timing feeds and all of that stuff, which was just, it was more work than I needed. I had enough on my hands with this new baby, so I I didn't need all of that extra stress. And at times I'm like thinking, is this really worth it? But that's where I found myself. So then fast forward a little bit, I get to my, my son. So my son um, in the middle, my little boy, Chester, he was born in 2015. So at this point, I'm now 35. And there's only, well, there's less than two years between the two of them. So I've now got my hands full. I am now busy, busier than ever. I've got a business that I'm trying to run. I am busy with work, busy with the two kids, stressed out, knackered, you know all the stuff that all mums can um, uh, attest to, and the thing that was different though, having having had um, Chester, and I always wonder whether it's to do with boy hormones, but I felt very very different. Now we didn't have a lot of social support either, so we had a lot on, but there was just something wasn't right, and. I was breastfeeding again, so I didn't have a menstrual cycle for a good long while. And and that kind of masked the fact that what was going on was I was having this hormonal volatility. So once a month I'd have this surge where I was just taken over by intense rage, anger. I mean, it it was debilitating. And when I I was in it, it was like having an out-of-body experience. Like I didn't recognize myself, it was horrible. And I just didn't know what to do with that. I'd never experienced anything like it in my life before. But I didn't feel like I could go and ask for help. That that for me was, I'd failed somehow. And that kept me stuck for a good long while. Now, eventually, it got so bad that I did go to the doctor and and the doctor diagnosed me with something called PMDD. So PMDD is premenstrual dysphoric disorder. So this is characterized by what I was describing this extreme volatility and anger and people can feel suicidal with it and homicidal. So it's, you know, it's a very serious condition. So they um, had the diagnosis and she offers antidepressants. And at that time I just wasn't ready to take them. So I left the doctor's office off. I go back into my life and things just get worse. You know, nothing, nothing improves. And it got so bad that within a fairly short space of time, I'd gone back to the doctor again. And this particular day, I remember sitting in the doctor's office and I've got my two little kids in there and kind of playing at my feet with the, the toys in the doctor's office. And, um, this is, this is a point I've given up. So I, I always like, I don't care what happens to me anymore. I'm looking at these kids and I'm thinking they deserve better than me. They mm. deserve better than this. And, they'd be better off without me and that was just the, it was just horrific to be to be thinking that when the last thing that I want is to be aware from my children it was it was truly horrible so my doctor thankfully was very very helpful and very compassionate and she prescribed me the antidepressants which I'd resigned myself to taking. And she also did a couple of other things. She referred me for CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy. And crucially, she also said to me, do you drink? And at this point, I was so dazed by the whole experience. I forgot to do that thing where you lie about how much you drink with the doctor. And so I had this sort of admission of, you know, well, I'm drinking like a a bottle or more of wine a night and she looked horrified and she said to me you need to cut down Mm. and so I left the doctor's office and I've got this world of emotion I've got some element of relief because I've taken action and I'm doing something but I feel shame and I feel really silly that I'm in this position where like how could I not see that I was drinking too much, like, it, it, but but it, I was just coping. It was just how I was getting through. So then the next thought is, well, okay, I need to cut down. I, I recognize that, but how? How do you do that then? When that's your method of self-care, yeah. how do you cut down? So I start to take the antidepressants, and they they just balance me out. I feel evened out. I feel like I've got my head above water. I was so thankful that I took them. And that gave me the space to then go and do the cognitive behavioral therapy. And I had the most amazing therapist. The first session I dealt with my lifelong anxiety. Mm. He was so good. And then I I went to work with him for a number of weeks and we even dealt with my lifelong spider phobia. So he was just incredible. But what this brought to me was this realization of how powerful the mind body connection is. So at this point, I've now come off the antidepressants. I don't need them anymore. I'm feeling really good. I did a couple of other things. Like I, I reset my gut. So I cut out things like gluten and dairy and sugar. Felt really, really good physically. I deepened my yoga practice. So I was at this point where the the whole thing about how do you cut down? It had kind of happened. So I, I wasn't drinking anywhere near as much. And I think it was basically because of two things. One, having that focus on other things, but two, those things made me feel so much better. So I didn't have that need to reach for something to make me feel better. So I felt so good. This is now the back end of 2017. So I'm now 37. I felt so good. I felt pregnant with my third one. So my little girl Noah is my last little baby and the pregnancy with her was really different. In so much as I really, really missed drinking. So when I was out on social occasions, I truly felt like I was missing out. So she was born in the summer of 2018. In fact, she was born just over there behind me, had the sun coming up on the morning. It was just like a really magical, wonderful experience. And after the midwives had left, I was in my bedroom. I've got my little baby, my newborn baby, and my neighbour came to visit me. And she walked into the room and she giggled. And I thought, what on earth is she laughing at? There's me with the baby in bed. And on my nightstand next to me was this, it was a hot summer and it was this chilled glass of my favorite white wine. And she was laughing because of that. And and I thought, what's bloody funny about that? I've been laboring since two o'clock in the morning. It's now 11 o'clock. So I think if I deserve anything, it's a glass of wine. And so, but that was very much how I saw saw alcohol. It was either an escape or it was a, a reward. So now I'm back in the throes of life. I've got now three very young kids commanding a lot of my attention, still trying to run my business and work, still got no social support. And the monthly volatility starts to creep back in, although it doesn't feel as intense this time. And I think that's because I know what I'm dealing with and I've got the awareness of it. But the thing that was different with my little baby Noah is that she is the ultimate sleep thief. So I think we all expect that babies are going to be up through the night feeding when they're very, very little. But she has only she's turned three now and she's only just started sleeping through the night. So we've been sleep deprived for a very, very, very long time. And it's not just the fact that she was up multiple times a night, every night. So you have the broken sleep, the disturbed sleep, the lack of sleep, but she was wanting to feed every night from me, even as she grew bigger. So you have then got the depletion from, you know, feeding another human with your own energy stores. So it was a really tricky time again, and I'm really starting to feel it. So I'll go back to the doctor and, she says, look, you you don't need antidepressants, although you could consider taking them just for the end part of your cycle to try and even out this volatility. But it just didn't feel like the right thing to do. So I asked her if I could go back to see my therapist. So she writes me another referral. I go back to him all hopeful and he sits me down. He says, Ellie, you need some sleep. You need some rest and you need some help at home. And I can't help you with any of that. So I left his office and I'm thinking, well, what the bloody hell do I do now? So of course, I'm then back, edging back into this cycle of drinking because that's my relief at the end of the day. That's my escape. That's my relaxation. And I always think it sounds fairly innocuous when I describe it like that. But of course it wasn't. I just couldn't see at the time that it was taking everything from me. So I was stagnating personally and professionally. I'd lost interest in all the things that I used to love, apart from yoga.
0: Mm. I
1: um, was losing motivation and and confidence. And when I look back on it now, I very much see it as it was like I was just erasing myself bit by bit. And as if that's sort of not bad enough, the the impact to yourself, of course, is an impact to your family. And, my little boy Chester was, so he's about three or four at the time. And I'd read him his bedtime story and then he'd put his little line out. he say, oh, mummy, will you stay with me for I'll fall asleep? And of course I'd want to, but you've got to remember at this point I'm, I'm strung out. I'm so tired, I've been tired since the minute I got out of bed in the morning. And I just want to go and have some time to myself and to relax and to try and ease off the stress of the day. So my dilemma is, do I stay with him? And if I, and if I did stay with him, I, I wouldn't be present with him. I wouldn't be enjoying the moment. I would be agitated and frustrated and clock watching and willing the time away so that I could go and have some time to myself. Yeah. Or the other choice was to disappoint him and to see his little face as I say, Oh, I'll stay with you tomorrow night, son. And then I go and have my glass of wine and a course I feel better for a little bit but then later on it just feels 10 times worse because I'm now questioning why I'm choosing to have a drink over spending time with my gorgeous little son but of course this is just this is it I'm, I'm in the thick of it and this is just me trying to trying to cope so a bit like the doctor um, that realisation that the doctor's office, the, the next realisation comes with a trip to Las Vegas. So I'd never been away from the kids. My friends are getting married out in Las Vegas. Off I go. And it's this big hedonistic trip, letting loose entirely. And it was wonderful and had an amazing time from what I can remember. But I did scare myself because here I am drinking like I'm in my twenties again. And... Like at one point, I blacked out and I'm thinking, I'm nearly forty, and here I am. like I've got I've got three kids at home. I like this isn't me anymore. I don't want to be doing this. So I travel home on the plane, get back to my kids. and of course, you can imagine I feel physically horrendous. So it was a really easy decision to say, right, that's it now, I'm stopping drinking. And I did. I stopped for a week and then fading effect bias sets in and, life happens and so this is me then fully into a, the cycle of trying to moderate so I'd set myself all of the the goals the um, the rules I'll only drink on a weekend and then I'd get two or three days alcohol free and I'd think well do you know what I deserve now I deserve a reward I've done so well and so I'd end up ruining the street because I wanted to reward myself or I'd be at the point where, I'd just be so strung out, so depressed, so low that I'd need to reach for that drink to make myself feel better and I'd think, oh, screw it. So I, I can start again next week. But it was a really horrible place to be, to feel in control of the other things in your life, to be worried about your health and to not be able to get a handle on it. So divine intervention then comes in the form of a sponsored Facebook ad from This Naked Mind. And this is where I came across the paper, the six vital things you need to know about moderation. Mm. And of course, it sings out to me because this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to moderate. And I remember reading the first page and it says something along the lines of your brain's going to try and tell you that this isn't true. You're not going to want to believe it. And so with that qualifier, I went in with this open mind for, well, let's see what this is all about. And I just I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe I didn't know this information already so this is all about the the science of how alcohol works with the brain and body and so I finally understood how and why I was stuck exactly where I was at and I just it, it blew my mind so if my main belief is I'm drinking to relax and not only do I now know it doesn't relax me it does the exact opposite then I have no desire to drink anymore so it was It was the strangest feeling from being so stuck to, now I don't want to drink anymore. But of course it's never that simple. So I've got the questions coming up in my mind about, well, how do you socialize then if you don't drink? And will my friends even want to socialize with me if I'm not drinking? So there was an element of fear of the unknown, but by far the overriding emotion was of curiosity and excitement, I was just so thrilled that there was this, this new option, something I'd never considered before. And so I wanted to run with it, but I didn't want to tell anybody else. I didn't tell my husband, I just kept it quiet and I, I just stopped drinking. And so I'm in this weird liminal space. And then of course I'm now on your email list. So we're now in December of 2019 and I get the invitation for the January 2020 Life Alcohol Experiment. So the first thing I think is, Wow, forty-seven dollars, and this was—you know—I I, I, didn't—I didn't value myself. I was questioning spending forty-seven dollars on myself, um, and it's crazy because it was such a life-changing experience. But that—that's just—you know—characterizes where, where I was at the time. I—I um, I then thought about, well, how much how much am I going to save in January by not drinking? So then, you know, it's easy maths. So I decide I'm going to invest the $47 and something changed in deciding that I was going to invest in myself, something shifted, something changed. I was wanting to get my money's worth. So I'm going to show up to every live. I am going to watch every video. I'm going to do every journaling exercise. The only thing that I thought that I didn't want to participate in was the Facebook community and gave it half a day. And I was in there with all of these new friends, all of these new connections that I've made, and once again proved completely wrong, I'm getting entirely vulnerable with all of these strangers, and it was just the most wonderful connection because you're all having this experience together, and who else are you going to talk to about it? So it was it was wonderful this build up to starting in January. So I'm nudging up towards Christmas. I had my first alcohol-free Christmas since either pregnancy or childhood, and it was the best. It was just incredible. And so to to take that experience and what I learned, the data from that, it was just wonderful. The other thing that I did was um, I chose on a couple of occasions to mindfully drink. So I always used to wrap the presents on Christmas Eve with champagne and the Christmas carols on. And I wanted to know what does the champagne really bring to it? And of course, as you know, you're not going to be surprised to know it brings nothing to it, it actually detracts, it takes everything away from the experience. So those, those uh, exercises were so helpful because I had two other strong beliefs. I believed that I liked the taste and I believed that I liked the way that it made me feel. And so doing that work proved to me that those beliefs were also false. So and then... January 1st, I'm going to the live alcohol experiment. I've got some alcohol-free time under my belt. I'm in a really, really solid position. And I just absolutely loved it. fell in love with the methodology. I couldn't believe how vast and fast the the change was, not just for me, but for the people around me. And all these things I've been looking out for in my life, I now had and more. So I had peace in my life for the first time. I had no anxiety anymore I felt joy like I hadn't felt since I was a kid I couldn't but like I thought that was long gone and the clarity the sharpness of mind through being alcohol free it was just amazing so with that I thought I have to I have to help other mums there must be so many people just like me that are suffering needlessly and so I just I wanted to find a way to help and I'm looking up to these coaches and thinking, oh God, I would love to do that. And then you opened the coach training at the end of uh, that month with this Naked Mind Institute. So I applied to be a coach and then obviously trained with you last uh, last year, which was just an incredible experience. And uh, then I went on to train with Jolene Park, who is the, the lady who coined the term grey area drinking. So what that, the, both trainings together, what that allowed me to do is to create a coaching business that uh, has its foundation in both the mind and the body. So it's really important that we do that cognitive work. We have to work on our limiting beliefs to be free from the substance. And we need to work on our thinking because how we, how we think determines how we feel how we feel determines how we show up and how we behave and that determines the results that we get so if we don't like the results we're getting in life we need to back it up so there's that element but equally as important is the somatic bodily element because we're drinking because we want to feel a certain kind of way so if you just remove alcohol and you don't replace it with anything else you then find yourself reaching for other things like sugar or social media or shopping or whatever so we need to add in new things that are going to nourish the nervous system they're going to make us feel good and then when we feel good we can you know we do better we can more attend to the cognitive work so I'm now coaching people one-to-one which I just absolutely love because it's so heavy touch you can stand right alongside somebody wherever they're at and build a customized plan for them in those two areas of mind and body Um, but I also coach groups I love coaching small groups of women and I put a program together that basically does two things it helps women get beyond 100 days alcohol free which is a, a great vantage point to be at and helps them go through all of those first like the first birthday or holiday or night out In a supportive environment but but it also the second thing it does is to help deal with that stuff that lies beneath so what I discovered in my own experience was that when you remove alcohol and you start to feel again all of the stuff starts to bubble to the surface and this is the stuff that I affectionately call my bag of crap so within my bag of crap I have broadly three things there was a lot of professional discontent. So whilst I love running my business, I love my job, um, I didn't feel like I was fulfilling my purpose in life and that left me unfulfilled. And the second thing was a rediscovery of childhood trauma, which was exceptionally painful. And then the third thing was the delayed grief from the death of my father. So I sadly lost him when I was 20 but of course I'd never processed that grief. And those were the things that like, when when you put it all out on the table, you think, well, of course I drank the way that I did. I was running away from that stuff. I was suppressing that stuff. I was running away from the person that I didn't think that I could be. And so the the coaching group that I run, I, I attempt to help people to teach them how to process their emotion how to regulate the nervous system so that we can start to heal from these these different things that that bubble up. And then that's where life becomes really expansive and new things start to to happen and new opportunities come along. And not only that, but what I have found is that you're not just learning these practices and tools for yourself, but you can pass them on to your kids. So when I was a kid, nobody taught me how to process my emotion or regulate my nervous system. So to have that as a gift that I can give my children is just wonderful. It's uh, it's so meaningful. So to me, where I kind of get to is like this to me really isn't about alcohol at all. It's about learning how to feel. It's about learning how to be. It's about living in the present moment and That's the reason I called my business Pump Up the Present, which is a bit of a nod to the 80s. But the present moment's all that we've got. Yet we spend so much time either living in the past and ruminating over things, or as I did, living in the future where you're anxious about what's going to happen, you're fortune telling, or you're looking to this undefined point where everything's going to be all right and I'm going to have all the things that I need to feel better. And what happens then? Well, we, we miss out on life in the process because it's, ha- it's happening in the present moment. So whilst this work is hard, this healing and transformation is so, so important. And I think I've been lucky in that, I've, I've been led by my values. So my two leading values are adventure and development. And that's enabled me to lean in when I've needed to but what i'm coming to realize now is that it's like i I always thought it was personal development and and of course there's a lot of inner work and there's a lot of growth self-growth but it's not just that it's it's also about spiritual development so it's about us as a collective it's about love it's about service and when you lean into both things and you work there's this interplay between the two really magical things happen. So I remember when I signed up for the coach training, uh, in the application, one of the things that you asked was, how many people are you going to serve and who are you going to serve? And I knew who I wanted to serve and I could easily tot up, well, how many people could I see in a day in a one-to-one coaching practice? Or how many people could I see in a group? But it wasn't enough. And so when I got into the coach training, I decided to reach the greatest number of people possible what I had to do is I had to create a podcast but then of course you've got the voice that tells you well who are you to do that and you're, you're not going to be able to do that you're not good enough to do that and this is the bit that you've then got to lean into and work not work against but work with and I'm obviously very pleased now to be able to say that, that that dream has come true. And I do have my own little podcast with um, my colleague, Sam, a co-host, Sam Goldfinch. So he's another, this naked mind coach. He runs a sober rebellion. So when you bring the sober rebellion together with pump up the present, you've got the present and sober podcast. We've got a real affinity over the mind and body practices. We both love yoga and breath work, all those sorts of things. And we're both, uh we we wanted to bring this podcast to people to just help people understand how expansive life can be when you remove alcohol all of the things that can happen and can open up for you when you make that decision and you live your your life wholeheartedly so we are we're just delighted to be doing it we had funnily enough yesterday we had we get a lot of messages, but we had a really lovely message yesterday from a lady. She's very tragically and suddenly lost her husband of twenty-five years, and she'd reached out to say to us that the thing that was helping her right now was listening to our podcast. And I just like I I, I have no words for that. It's just so humbling to know that you can be helping people. So we're we're delighted that we've got a lovely listenership engage list listenership and we have a little free facebook community for people to join and it's a really wonderful place to continue the conversation spend time and we've got some incredible guests coming up of which you're one annie so delighted to be doing that in the future can't wait for that so really the message that i wanted to leave with people is that there's just so much opportunity so much potential and like I said earlier it's it's not really about alcohol it's about what you're capable of and and really the only limits that there are are the the limits that we put you know put upon ourselves
0: yeah I love that so much wow there's so much in your story that I I really relate to I remember in my own journey very vividly the times of trying to you know, make decisions around drinking and nursing or drinking and putting the kids to bed or feeling super frustrated on the nights they didn't want to go to bed easily. And um, because I felt like I was being deprived of what I needed, which was my wine and, you know, buying even strips to dip into the milk to see if it was too alcoholic to feed the baby or if it was fine and sort of having to throw away, even though it was so painful to throw anything away because you're barely making enough anyway. And um, like you say, your just resources are so depleted, but throwing it away for the sake of drinking and having this voice in the back of my head being like, really? Like, it's worth it? You know, like, really? And, but just obviously ignoring that voice and, you know, just so much inner dialogue and conflict about um, about my decisions and especially the decisions in regard to the children and like that whole thing getting brought into like more relief, like, oh, I see this now differently because of these kids, but it almost just increased my internal conflict rather than gave me any clarity. And um, yeah, I, I just really can relate to that whole part of your journey because I, I remember even traveling abroad and bringing back, you know, hundreds of ounces of milk through security systems and stuff like that. And just being so, so dedicated, but so worn out all at once. And, uh, just a few nights ago, I was actually, my daughter has been a little bit under the weather and, um, and she's doing better now, but a few nights ago, you know, she really wanted me to stay in with her. And there was just this realization in this moment of like, wow, like there is a finite number of nights that my kids are going to ask me to fall asleep with them. Like it's very finite. And it can feel like such an inconvenience or it can feel like forever. It can feel like, oh, I just want to get to my whatever it is, whether it's binging on Netflix or wine or whatever. But really, it's just such a finite number of nights that you have where they want you to be there. And then for most of their lives, they're not going to, certainly not want you to cuddle them goodnight, right and so i just had a different frame on that whole thing which is really nice
1: yeah it's and and that 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 bit is so painful when you you can see them growing up so fast and people will always say to you oh you know make the most of them because they're going to grow up fast but when you're clinging on by the skin of your teeth and you're just trying to get through the day it's so hard it's so hard and this is why i just I want to help as many people as I can because you, you deserve to enjoy your, your family life. As you say, it's fleeting. And so it's it's a really, really precious thing. Like I just before I came down here to record, it's nighttime here. And I was just laid with so I laid with my son for you know the 20 minutes it took him to fall asleep, and he's cuddling me and he smells lovely, and you just nestled into him and listening to the, the sounds of the night, the owls and things. It's just beautiful. And then he's finished and the little one's still awake. So then go and sit with her and stroking a little head. And she's telling me that she loves me. And so I'm just, I'm just so thankful. And I've said this to you a lot before, but you know, I'm just, I'm truly thankful for that P- that PDF, that one thing that dropped by accident into my life. And it complete it's completely changed my life in so many ways. So I'll always be indebted to you, Annie. So thank you.
0: If anybody is, is curious about that PDF, it is a free ebook and you can find it at canimoderate.com. So if you want to download it and it's just like like Ellie said, the scientific reasons, um, just things to know, you know, I really consider my job is not to tr- tell anybody what to do or make any judgments on what anybody does. You know, if you want to drink, if you want to not drink, if you want to drink on occasion, if you want to moderate I feel like my my role and the coach's role now is just to provide information and education so that we can all make our own decisions because we're grown ups and we're going to make our own decisions anyway so we might as well be empowered in those decisions through knowing um, knowing some some truths that can really empower us and aren't aren't scary right
1: so it's just yeah all. absolutely it's it's very similar I, I remember like going through all of the the, like the lead up to childbirth and it's all about being informed and being empowered and, and to me it's the same thing and that's why it was such a shock when I read that pdf originally it's like how how do we not know this information <laughs> like how is it not out there so yeah I'm on a bit of a mission now <laughs> that's so awesome
0: one of the things you said you know just touched on a little bit is this idea of you know feeling like who am I to launch this podcast or who am I to do this or who am I to do that and I just really I love the well, well, first of all, I heard it said recently, and I think it's so true, that the idea imposter syndrome is just basically another word for I'm scared. And that's so freeing to know, because once we see, oh, I'm just scared, then we can do something about that. We don't feel like we have this like syndrome that's, you know, defining how we show up in the world, which is really cool. But also, I just wanted to say that I, I love the idea of like the wounded healer. And I think that it's, it's contrary in a lot of ways to, you know, some fields where you can't actually talk about your background, because they believe that that would um, somehow negatively impact the relationship, or maybe your authority in the relationship. But I so firmly believe that the relationship and us being vulnerable and transparent is what just creates the place for other people to, I think of it as if, you know, there's, there's, you wake up in the middle of the night, it's that 3am time zone, you're, you're regretting what you did the night before you're trying to piece it together, you're feeling just this flood of adrenaline and anxiety and just self-loathing. And you're having all these thoughts, right? And it's just one voice in there. And I think, well, you know, if, if I can just enter by sharing my voice and say, Hey, I'm, I'm there too, actually, I might not be in your head, but I'm there in my own bed. I was there, we're there. And like, so it's just like, there's two voices. And then with two voices, we can show each other the way home. And I just think that that's like what we're here to do. And I don't think you can do that without sharing our own stories really vulnerably. And so the idea that um, you feel unready in some regards to you know launch the podcast with Sam or to to talk about your own story, I just want to validate that I think that feeling unready but being radically vulnerable with a really good heart and really good intentions is actually the real true qualifiers that we need because none of us is claiming to know more than we do we're just claiming to say hey i've i found this path do you want it, me to show it to you i found this this way um, you know can i can i share it and and i think that's you know that idea of just starting before you're ready is actually the most
1: profound place to start Mm. and it's it's so beautiful it's like having a little flashlight and shining shining the way yeah it's so awesome well Ellie let me ask you um the
0: questions I sort of wrap these things up with which is first of all and I think you sort of alluded to it but in order for people to find you you have the um sober is it present in sober podcast
1: Yeah. So there's a present and sober podcast and we've got a little following on uh, Instagram and there's a little free um, community on Facebook if people want to join that. And as far as my coaching business is concerned, that's pumpupthepresent.com. And uh, of course I'm on Facebook and Instagram there too. So people can find me there. Awesome. That's great. Thank you. And we'll link that
0: all in the notes. And then Ellie, what, if you were going to go back in time, you know, to the person who was walking into their therapist's office and having him say, "Yeah, I can't help you," or you know really feeling overwhelmed with the young children and the competing priorities of staying with him or getting to your glass of wine and you could tell her about what life is like now, what would you say
1: the, there's what there's one message I'd want to give myself, and i it's tricky because it's the thing of you know would i would I have listened to it um, but I, what I know now is I, I'm truly authentically myself and I trust myself. And I didn't trust myself before. I was so disconnected from myself. It was like I'd turned the volume down on my own voice, my inner voice, my inner knowing, and turned up the volume on everybody else's voice. And that led me down uh, a path of doing things that, I thought I should do or other people thought that I should do as opposed to guiding myself. And that made me unhappy. And it primarily because I'm not being my authentic self. I'm it's, it's tricky to, to live that way. And so what I've had to do is to connect back with myself. I've had to go through self-awareness and acceptance, forgiveness, compassion self-compassion and self-care but what I now have is this real strong connection this strong unshakable bond with myself like I know that I will never abandon myself again so my voice is now turned up and the voice for others is kind of turned down and it's not to say that I don't listen at all but there's this balance to be struck between being with others but not abandoning yourself in the in the process so I just think that 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 is so important because it gives an inner peace so all we have is the present moment and ourselves so yes we have connection with other people we have relationships with with other people but they're impermanent and at some point they will fall away and what are you left with yourself so the sooner that you can find that way back to yourself and you can make that connection, the the better. Um, And then, you know, you have this, it's it's almost like it doesn't matter what life throws at you because you've always got that to go back to. I love that so much. And I, that's been a
0: a real theme for me recently. I was asked, um, you know, if I could teach my children one thing, and one thing only, what would I teach them? And I would teach them to trust themselves first, mm-hmm. anything they could do to trust themselves first, because we are born with this incredible wisdom. And you see it. And and that wisdom and trusting yourself first really leads to joy. You see it in children before they learn that maybe it's not safe to trust yourself. Because what if yourself wants something that makes somebody else uncomfortable or makes somebody else mad? And then you, you learn all of that and And then the joy gets dampened. And so I think that, you know, if I could just teach them, of course, be kind and be accepting of other people, but, but trust yourself first and trust yourself to do the right thing. I think that that would be the thing that I would leave them with. So I love that response.
1: Mm -hmm. Awesome. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Ellie. This
1: has just been such a joy and I really appreciate your time. Oh, no, thank you so much for having me. It's just been super awesome. And uh, as I say, thank you for everything. I really appreciate it.
0: Let me ask you a question. What is better than change? Lasting change, of course. And if you've had trouble making change stick, either with alcohol or in any other area of your life, you are in for a treat. I created the 100 Days of Lasting Change to ensure that we don't just change for a moment, but we truly transform for a lifetime. And this program is so close to my heart. Thousands of people have been through it and their results are incredible. But don't take my word for it. Check it out at This Naked Mind dot com forward slash 100 days and as always rate review and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today